Welcome to another episode of the Tom Shimmer Podcast. Happy summer, everyone. Today, we have another installment of our summer series. Our roundtable discussion today is focused on women in leadership. Now, we know that the vast majority of educators are women, but the vast majority of those in formal educational leadership roles are not. Now, sure, you can be a leader without the title, as leadership is more about influence than title, but having a formal leadership role isn't just about influence, it's about decision-making. It's easy for those in formal leadership roles, those who already have the title, to say, you know, titles don't matter. But more often than not, those titles come with increased responsibility, elevated decision-making status, and of course, increased pay. Everyone responsible for hiring, be it superintendents or principals or boards, everyone really should audit their hiring practices and processes to ensure that there is real equity of opportunity. And I'll have more on that later. Joining me today in the roundtable are three powerhouse women, Anissa Baker-Busby, Xander Joe Galvan, and Brittany Rincon. Dr. Anissa Baker-Busby is an elementary school principal at Lindsay Elementary School in Georgia. She has 18 years of experience in high poverty schools as both an elementary teacher and administrator. As an elementary principal, Anissa helped high-performing collaborative teams embrace the PLC at Work process by focusing on the three big ideas of collaboration, learning, and results. 2020 saw her school named a model PLC school. Anissa was also named the 2008-2009 Teacher of the Year at Miller Elementary School in Georgia. Xandra Joe Galvan has been serving as superintendent of Greenfield Union School District since 2017. Xandra has worked in public education for the past 28 years. Now, prior to joining Greenfield, Xandra served as the Assistant Superintendent of Educational Services for Gonzales Unified School District, where she was the coordinator of all educational programs, the LCAP process and budgets, and she managed all state and federal programs. Xandra is a member of the National Superintendents Roundtable, is on the ACSA Region 10 Board of Directors, and is the president of the California Association of Latino Superintendents and Administrators. Dr. Brittany Rincon is a teacher, curriculum coordinator, and the host of the Teacher Leader Podcast. She helps teachers become leaders by finding their voice through podcasting and leadership mindset work. Brittany believes that every teacher is a teacher leader who has a story and a message worth sharing with the world. As a podcast coach, she helps teachers start, launch, and grow their podcast through one-to-one -one coaching and her courses. Listeners, be sure to check out the show notes for Anissa, Zandra's, and Brittany's social media handles, as well as their other contact information. All right, let's talk women in leadership. Here with me to talk about the very important topic of women in leadership are Xander Joe Galvan. Hi there, everyone. Good morning. Uh, also, Good we evening. have Anissa Baker-Busby with us. Hello, everyone. And we have Brittany Rincon. Hi. Great to see everybody. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules to... Uh, to talk about what I think is a very important conversation, one that is is timely. So we're going to jump right into this conversation and begin with this interesting dichotomy in education when it comes to school leadership. Uh, we know that roughly 70 to 75 percent of all educators are women. Uh, it's higher for elementary schools and, and slightly lower for secondary schools, middle schools, high schools, but it's around 70 to 75 percent. Yet one report that I read suggested that only 54% of elementary principals are women, and that number drops to about 30% at the secondary level. 
So, and, and even fewer women are superintendents. So Zandra, I want to start with you, uh, since you're a superintendent. Um, why, from your perspective, is there such a discrepancy between men and women in leadership positions? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Tom. And it's just one that has risen to the top so often um, for for public education, for anything we're looking at in terms of why why aren't women in those positions? And so I look to a, a little bit of studies when we're, we're looking at this data. And so there's various reasons why women don't uh, take that next step. Some of it uh, depends on what they got into education for. I think a lot of us are teachers at heart, want to make a difference. We want to make sure that students are served. And so it's really hard uh, to leave the teaching position and go into administration. Um, that's one of the factors. Uh, number two, some of us don't feel that we're going to have enough of the degrees before we apply for the job. And so that resonates with a lot of us in terms of, I'm not going to apply until I have this other credential. I'm not going to apply until I you know, have this academy under my belt. I'm not going to apply until I have this other degree. And so we end up psyching ourselves out of applying for the job, which is incredibly, you know, just terrible for us. And so within that sense, I want to give you a little bit of, of context in terms of data. You shared some data. And so nationally, um, I'm part of the Association for Superintendents um, on a national level. And at that level, there are almost 14,000 school districts in the nation. However, the most recent study by the association yielded that only about 2,000 are held by superintendents that are female. Wow. And so that is only uh, about 7% nationally. Mm -hmm. And so I have so many of my sister soups, and that's what we call each other, sister soups, in different, um, different states and different um, levels that are telling me they're the first female ever hired in their school district. They are the first Latina ever hired. They are the first African-American ever hired. And so we need to change all that. And so how do we change that is by just really being, telling yourself that you're ready, like telling yourself that you're ready. And so from that perspective of why are there so many discrepancies? It's us sometimes not applying. It's us not feeling that we're ready. It's us wanting to be moms first sometimes and, and, and not sacrificing the family because we do so much. Um, but then really challenging those statistics. We have to challenge them, even though they are what they are, more and more of us are rising. And I'll just give you one more statistic here in California. Uh, there are over a thousand districts in my home state here of California. And I'm the president of CALSA, which is Association of Latina Superintendents and Administrators for our state. And there are only 34 of us wow. in the whole state. Wow. So definitely the data speaks for it, but you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna keep we're gonna keep fighting, we're gonna keep prepping our sisters, and we're gonna get a lot more women in leadership positions because uh, they deserve it and our, our, our organizations deserve it. I absolutely agree with you, Xander. Recently I heard a an assistant superintendent, her name is Dr. Tansy Kilcrease. We had our Gale conference in Jekyll Island for Georgia educational leaders. And so she was speaking on women in leadership and she was talking about the correspondence between women that are secondary principals that are also assistant superintendents or superintendents. And it was just over like overwhelming the amount of women that start off as elementary principals and then the small amount that are secondary principals and how majority of superintendents our secondary principles and they are filled by men. And I just thought about it, like what 
why do we see such a big difference? And I completely agree with you. Even in my own personal experiences, I think women go through so much mentally where we do talk ourselves out of positions. And we do think, yes, we have to have this degree, this certification, and I have been guilty of that. Like I, even recently, I added on two additional endorsements to my certification because I'm thinking eventually one day I want to work at the district office, but I need to have all of these credentials. Not believing in myself that, Anissa, the experiences and the cognitive capacity that you have right now is enough. It's convincing yourself as a woman that you are enough. And then thinking about your family, I think we make decisions sometimes where we're saying, I need to be there for my kids. But not knowing that if we go ahead and take that leap, we will make a way to be there for our families and provide for our, our children and still be everything that superhero woman that we are. That's right. We're definitely superheroes and being able to do all of it. We do talk ourselves out of the next promotion when honestly, we are naturally equipped to be leaders and handle all of it. Flawless. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And I, I forget where I heard this statistic originally, but because um, I've heard it from multiple people, but they say like women, when they apply for a job, they have to, they have to feel like they meet 100% of the requirements or the criteria and that men look at a job description and they're like, they, they meet at least like 80%. I think it's like 80%. Then they'll apply for the job. And I think like that kind of goes with what everyone else is saying is that like women feel like they have to have everything on the checklist before they even think about applying, mm. let alone actually going for a position that they probably are qualified, if not overqualified for. So I think that also kind of adds to it. Like, I often feel like maybe I should be overqualified for this position, because then that means that I might actually have a chance. And I think that's really definitely like a mind, a mindset thing, a shift that we really need to start taking. Mm -hmm. So Anissa, I want to come back to you because you talked a little bit about the, um, in, you know, the internal dialogue or the internal forces that, that women, uh, have that may be at play. I think there are a lot of things in society externally, and we're going to get to those and talk about some of the external forces that are preventing women say from, from rising into leadership positions, but internally you, you talked a little bit about that internal dialogue or those internal sort of feelings we have. So can we talk a little bit more about that from your perspective? Um, do, do you think men and women really do, Brittany, you mentioned this as well a little bit. Do you think men and women approach leadership opportunities differently? And, and is that at least part of the discrepancy as to, to why in the, you know, in the end there are fewer women in leadership's positions because fewer women maybe are applying. I'm not, I'm not trying to dismiss the external forces, but there is something to be said for some of the internal dialogue or that internal conversation. Thoughts on that, Anissa? Uh, yes. I even think about how we describe leadership. So I know many of us have attended professional learning and they're asked you to create or give an adjective that describes yourself or describes your leadership style. And I was reading an article, actually a book that talked about the word ambitious and how when we hear ladies use the word or women use the word ambitious, they tend to think negatively about it and not think of it as being progressive or forward thinking, where that is a very good trait for men to say, oh, I'm very ambitious or I'm very um, 
progressive. I'm, I'm aggressive in trying to seek my next goal. Well, that doesn't necessarily flow very well when women describe themselves. So even just how we look at ourselves um, as far as leadership describing the characteristics that we possess as a leader, I think that is different. Women tend to say, you know, we, we are nurturers naturally and we lean more on emotional intelligence. We describe that when we're, we're talking about ourselves as a leader where men tend to be very goal focused or work for focused, just like what Brittany said. They may meet 80% of the criteria and they're going for it. Where we as women will say, do we have everything? Like we'll look at the job description and we will look at the prerequisites. Often they even have preferred qualifications. And we will then look at the preferred qualifications to see if we meet that. Where I know plenty of my male colleagues completely disregard that because they say, and they will say to me, oh, that's a preferred. That's not necessarily <laughs> what it takes to be there. Whereas we will look at that whole job description and internalize that to be, do we have to have all of these things to be there. I have even said to my friends or my peers, my colleagues, some of my mentees, that as women, especially women of color, we tend to have to work twice as hard to prove ourselves just so that we can have a seat at the table. Instead of saying, oh, I deserve this seat, I'm going to take it. I think some men just pull up and sit at the table. They don't have all of those internal, should I sit there, should I not? They see a vacancy, they go. We tend to analyze the entire situation internally. Like These are conversations we're having with ourselves. And, and sometimes, and I have been guilty even recently, have talked myself out of jumping for, you can do this, you got it, and go for it because I was actually looking at preferred qualifications. And I think something on there said secondary experience. And I was like, oh, I don't have a lot of that other than um, stuff I've done in PD and didn't apply. Hmm. That is definitely how, and I am guilty of that. So these questions are right on time <laughs> because these are, that's real life. We actually experience these things. Yeah, that's interesting. And he says, you're, as you were responding there, I'm thinking back to when I've applied for jobs and, thinking about, you know, reflecting on my own mental state and, and wondering if therein lies some of the difference. Because when I would look at a job, I would say, well, I don't have to be the best in the world. I only have to be better than everyone who's applied. I, I don't have to, I don't have to go up against this hypothetical super person who is out there. I, I just, I just need to be the number one choice among those who submit their application. So, so Brittany, I'm wondering if that is, part of the difference in terms of the terms of the internal dialogue and how um, maybe women approach the the opportunities thoughts on that definitely and i think a lot of the conversations that we have internally are also based around fear fear of change mm -hmm. fear of something new fear of even just from a social point, like we're social beings. And when you leave your area of comfort from like a school that you feel really comfortable with and your peers to a situation where you don't know anyone or where you might be one of, one of the only women, one of the only people of color, one of the only, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And you have that internal dialogue with yourself. And it's like, is it worth it to put myself in this situation where it might not be ideal or where it might not live up to this expectation that I've built up in my head. And then, you know, 
all of that goes on, all of that fear goes on, the second guessing, next you know, the job is closed, <laughs> they've found someone, they've moved on. <laughs> and you're like, darn it, I didn't, you know, I didn't even put my my hat in that mm -hmm. ring, you know? And that happens a lot. I've seen it, I've been in that situation. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's like, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Tom. No, I was just going to say the overthinking, right? I mean, and that's yeah. that's something that we have to. Sandra, how do we, how do we, or how do how do we deconstruct that? How do we how do we stop? How how do women stop themselves from from that level of overthinking and and over over analyzing the uh, the approach to leadership? Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah, and just wanting to right so so your your question is really about the differences why like why don't we apply and i think Brittany and um anissa you hit on so many of those critical pieces about you know just women of color you know definitely are as a, at a disadvantage but i think we do want to blow socks off like we really want to impress people mm -hmm. and it's so ironic i mean i love to hear your perspective tom as well like you're just saying about how you want to just be better than the other candidates you know, maybe the ones that are in the pool just to make sure you rise to the top is a mentality. For us, it's a mentality like, no, we have to do like everything and we want to make sure we have all of it. And we don't even, we don't even identify who the competition is. We just are like competing with ourselves to be the best at what we have, right? So it is, a, a, it, that's a just really great research to really, I, I would love to wrap my head around more of that because it is the entry point. Like what causes us to enter into the race and what causes us to pause and wait until, you know, we've got these other things. But I will tell you some solutions to that in terms of like, let's just talk a little bit. We, we hit this on, on some internal forces and some external forces as well. But I want to hit a little more external forces in terms of um, school boards. So I work directly with school boards. And so school boards have a particular characteristic of the individual that they're looking for as well sometimes, depending on the district. So um, and you had mentioned about, you know, Title I districts, there's more affluent districts. We have every state, every shape and size in the in the nation. Right. So what is the match for that district and what have they had experiences before that might have might cause them to look for a particular type of person or a characteristic? And so doing our research and finding out who do they hire, you know, is one part of it too to really research the district. But um, oftentimes when the research was showing why are why are there so many men? Well, school boards tend to still be in that kind of sometimes the mindset of I'm going to hire a male. I'm going to hire somebody that doesn't have, you know, um, or does have the things, the qualities I'm looking for, rather than um, maybe not giving a chance to a female. And I think like through some of the characteristics mean a man being much more maybe strong and maybe a women a perception of us being a little bit more you know, nurturing and, you know, not necessarily having the fierce and the courageous conversations that we know we can have, right? And they know we can have. And so we need to find school districts and influence at that level as well. And I'm very fortunate. I'll just give you a quick story. I was hired in my district that um, I attended as a, as a child. Um, a wonderful board hired me. It's a different board that I have now. They're equally as wonderful. But the board, when I when they interviewed me, um, asked me, you know, just some some very, you know, simple questions, uh, hard questions, simple questions, all of them. But the one question that resonated with me was um, they said, you know, what do you need from us? And I said, well, I'm entering this as a mom, a young mom. I, I will I will lead ferociously. I will lead courageously. I will do everything to move student achievement forward. But I also need to be able to be a mom. And that's really important to me to be with my kids when they go to their um, field trips to be present when they have a parent teacher conference. And if you're okay with me doing that as well. 
And I took a hard chance, let me just tell you, because I knew that if they didn't like that, I was out the door, but that was my core belief, my passion. Like for me to lead others, I gotta be good for myself too. And for my family that I serve. And they said, and like three of them started crying and they were like, oh my God, like the best leaders we've ever hired are people who have balance and believe that they need to take care of their family themselves in order to do a better job here. Because I know that you'll do, you'll give everything you can to us knowing that you're being satisfied in that area. So this with the external, the internal, there's some, there's both of that, but finding a district that will hire you as a female too, whether it's principal, superintendent, teacher um, is critical. And I'll share one other, I wanna just share a couple other things with you because it's just so important. Have a, this right here, a sister circle. I'm part of a, just that I'm, we just created this ourselves, a sister circle that are your cheerleaders, your champions, like those people that will be able to support you when you're down. And when imposter syndrome creeps in and says, you're not good enough, these girls will rally and say, oh, honey, yes, you are. And stop that madness in your brain. And I just want to share with you a couple books. So Leading While Female is amazing. It's written by three fabulous women. Um, they're, they're my Facebook friends, my Twitter friends, and they're just like, they, they support. They like really live the talk. And it talks in here about imposter syndrome and all of the things that prevent us from wanting, like the differences between males and females and we have so many wonderful, Tom, you're a, you're an ally of fabulous women for starting this podcast and just wanting to, you know, have this topic for us. And so they talk about you in this book as well. Another one on how women rise. It's like 12 habits to like get rid of that and just talk about how you can rise. We do book clubs with this out here in California. And the one I was listening to this morning, just before us to motivate me for this talk is Wolfpack by Abby Wambach. If you haven't, it on audible if you haven't heard from her oh my god like that like i wanted a pencil and a notepad to just write down everything because she talks and hits about so many things about us as females like the glass ceiling we're breaking it we're opening doors we're hope we're keeping it open um don't be curious like be curious but don't be like not moving to the next level of saying i have what it takes to get into that job and so um just both internal external forces yeah absolutely can can move forward it's uh, you, you, your, your reference to balance, I think is so critical and that school districts have the courage to hire people under the, the idea of, of keeping balance in their lives. I know that, you know, years ago when I go back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, when I still worked in the school system, there was still this kind of romanticized notion that uh, you had to spend all weekend at the school and that you, that the longer you were at, and there was almost this competition amongst principals about who is at the school the longest on the weekend. And I just, you know, personally was never impressed by that. Uh, I just thought, you know, the longer you're spending at a school, the more inefficient your use of your time and that no principal needs to spend seven days a week uh, at their school. And I just don't think that's healthy in the long run. And I think that more and more school districts uh, in their hiring practices almost need to insist or maybe even start asking questions about how candidates find balance, because I think in fairness, that's the only way, if the, if the boards are hiring under this idea that you need to be committed to the job, you know, 100 hours a week, 120 hours mm -hmm. a week, it's a ridiculous ask of, of leaders, male or female, uh, and certainly uh, for, for women, uh, it, is, it is, a, is a lot of pressure in terms of that. And I think, you know, kudos to you for, for asserting yourself and saying, I need balance. And, and, and I love that. 
Brittany, I want to turn to you now and I want to talk about teacher leadership because, um, you know, of course, it's one thing to be the principal or the superintendent and, and you know, like it or lump it, the superintendent or the principal, that you know, they, they have positional authority. Everybody knows who, who the boss is. Uh, you know, not that we lead that way. We don't just lead authoritatively, but everybody understands kind of who's in charge. Um, I want to ask a little bit about teacher leaders, you know, being a department chair or simply being a teacher of influence where you don't really have any positional authority, but you are a, someone of influence. So is it more challenging for women to be a leader amongst peers? And if so, why do you think that is? And if not, maybe set me straight on that question and just help me understand what it's like to be a leader of peers as a woman. You know, I think there's two ways of looking at it, right? So there's the teacher who was of influence, like the unofficial teacher leaders. And, you know, I find that those are the leaders who really don't realize that they're leaders, right? Mm -hmm. They are the teachers who are helping the teacher next door or staying a little later to help someone figure out a lesson, giving them feedback, encouragement. All of those things makes amazing teacher leaders. And because it's like unofficial, you know, you didn't interview for that position, there's not a title that's associated with it. A lot of teachers don't even think of themselves as leaders. They don't they don't associate themselves as having any type of influence, but they do. Those are the teachers that are the most influential in the whole building because those are the ones that everyone else goes to when they need help. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we have the official leaders who are like the department chairs. They're in charge of the grade, the grade level reps. And those are great as like a first step if you are thinking about entering leadership and you want to kind of test the waters and see if this is something you want to do. And I think it's a little challenging in the sense that, yes, you don't have like the quote unquote authority, like you still want to be one of, you know, one of your peers, you're still one of them, so to speak, right? Um, but you're also aligned with administration and helping them kind of push their agenda forward. And I think that line sometimes is a little challenging for teachers, especially women, because they want to make everyone happy. We have this feel, you know, we have to help everyone, we have to please everyone. And, you know, struggling between like, well, I still want to be a teacher. I still want to align my values with I'm still in the classroom, but also helping administration at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, but it's such a vital role. Like there is no principal in the world who says that they could do their job well if they don't have strong teacher leaders. Right. And you have to realize that the role is necessary. You're already doing it. You might as well wear the title proudly. <laughs> <laughs> I have to absolutely agree with you, Brittany. So one of the fundamental assumptions about leadership that we see now in schools, we always say no one person can do it alone. And so what we will see in a professional learning community is definitely that collaborative culture where everyone, they're committed to the same mission, committed to the same vision, and they work together collaboratively. And the whole role of leadership has changed when you're starting to look at look at improving learning outcomes for students. It's no more the principal make the decision and you run with it. Because honestly, that person can only go so far. If we think about the definition of leadership, it's the ability to influence others, positively or negatively. So sometimes it is not the principal that have the most impact or the influence on their team. They just have the position. So you have to think about how do you use your teacher leaders to be committed to a mission and vision that we're all going to come in and do the right work for our students. 
And you can't do that alone. You have to have teachers. We at, at our school, I absolutely pour everything I have into all of my teachers to tell them, you are leaders. You, I need you. Our community need you. Our students need you. And I can't do it alone. Once you have a culture that really supports that and you're pouring into them as leaders, they're pouring into you as leaders, like you will just see the whole learning community. You will be impacting more than just your school. People can come in and feel your school, a difference in your school. There are days when I'm not there or if I have to leave and take care of family things or if I'm not on a business trip, I never have to worry because the teacher leaders at our school it's like having 10 to 15 assistant principals. One is at the front, even my, my secretaries, like they are leaders in their own right. Yes, I tell them, we don't worry about titles. Like one time when I was interviewing, the secretary said, well, I'm just a secretary. I said, I don't even know what just the secretary means. Mm -hmm. Like you are the secretary, mm -hmm. like you run <laughs> the front office. Like, you're like the head and chief, you know, mm -hmm. like we pour into everyone to make schools work. And that leadership piece is so powerful because everybody, even in my role and as Xander's role, I think as women, we need advocates, we need mentorship. Mm -hmm. So as a teacher leader, you're getting free coaching, free PD from your principal. And, I, and I'm very honest. Sometimes that could be good and bad. So <laughs> if you have somebody you're learning right up what to do. You have somebody that's not ineffective. You are learning what not to do. So either way, I'm happy. And I think that that is so powerful for us. When she mentioned to have a sister circle, I was thinking about all the ladies that pour into my life that are mentors. Because at this level, I need mentorship in a whole different level. It's not so much as capacity building, but it's leadership building, it's balance, it's being a wife, it's being a mom, it's being spiritual. Like, you have to have a circle of people to help you with that balance. So when it comes to those internal issues that we give ourselves, you you have that. And 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 I kept thinking, oh wow, you know, when we when she was talking, why didn't I lean on my circle? Because there were some things I did not share that had I just talked to my mentor, um, and even in Solution Tree, I have many, like I have Nicole, mm -hmm. I could talk to. I can talk to Sharon Kramer or Paula Meeker. Like I have people that have poured into me that I know like at this level in my life, they are definitely people that I can lean on. Now I have Xander. So she's <laughs> going to be <laughs> this is what I'm thinking, you know. And I've met Brittany to keep you there. Like, hey, um, tell me how I can help build this teacher up. Because my thing is I want to have people that work with me, that are just as goal-driven, ambitious, they, even in their leadership position, whatever you're doing, you're going to do it well. And we have to have teacher leaders. I think sometimes people downplay that role, but teacher leaders, they make your school work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You have to have a guiding coalition, a leadership team yeah. of people that can drive that work. Like you have to have it. Yeah. There's no way your school can be successful without it. Right, right, Sandra. It it makes me it makes me think about as as Anissa and Brittany were responding. I, I'm wondering if this is where it begins. When we talked earlier about how men and women approach leadership differently, maybe it's here at the teacher leadership place where 
we can do more to help women feel valued as, as teacher leaders so that they see themselves as leaders and therefore that confidence grows when it comes time to um, apply for assistant principal jobs or even department chair jobs that we kind of nurture that. So are there, are there things principals could do leaders can do? Um, you know, are there, are there different things we could do? I'm not saying better, not saying worse, not saying special. What I'm saying is, are there different things that principals can do to help kind of nurture women as teacher leaders in schools or in districts? Thoughts on that? Uh, oh, absolutely. And I just love both Brittany and Anissa's responses. Like, they're just so spot on because Absolutely. There's so many um, women within our organizations, and we know already statistically you shared at the beginning, there are so many in elementary and then moving through to secondary, much more in elementary, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, but we do see them throughout the, the teacher force. So how do we do that? So absolutely, as a principal, as a superintendent, as a leader, as a teacher, teacher on special assignment, how do we use just so much um, encouragement and uplifting and empowerment to show our female teachers, that they absolutely have what it takes to step into that. And I'm going to go back to what Brittany said. Um, they don't know that they're a golden gem because they just do it. They just do it because the kids deserve it and they want to make sure that they do everything they can um, to make sure they succeed. But in terms of like the department chair and the um, the person or the, the grade level rep, it's usually like old times, right? It used to be like, oh, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to do that because it was like chores. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, we just go, the, okay, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Like gone are the days about like, we're going to talk about field trips and who has yard duty. Uh-uh. We're talking about data. We're facilitating conversations. We're talking about who needs enrichment and who needs some intervening. Like it's some serious work. And we have rock star teachers on all of our uh, teaching courses, and but they don't know it sometimes. So it's about the encouragement and the empowerment of saying like, you know what, when you kick butt on that lesson, your teacher clarity was off the charts. You engage students, you ask the probing questions, you took it around, you, you toss it to another, like, wow, do you realize you do that that well? They're like, what? I mean, we don't even know it sometimes. And then they share that with another and another. And so how do you, how do we do that? We coach up, we empower, we, we set the mindset. The culture of our school is the culture of our district. You see behind me, all means all. You know, we we are part of the Solution Tree family, and and really believe all of the 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 systems that need to be into place organizationally. So every single teacher in our district really believes that they have what it takes. Sometimes they need extra encouragement to make sure that they take a front seat because they will always take a back seat and do the work, and and they don't need the recognition, but they also have the power to influence others. Um, so it's about uh, that empowerment. The other thing I want to share is about relationship. People don't do things for you unless they believe that they trust you and that they will walk with you um, through that. And so I'm very fortunate that five years later, as a superintendent of my district, um, we have a culture that we have such strong relationships with people that they will do almost anything for me and I would do almost anything for them. And that is when you know that you're moving your system forward and that women are in those positions where they are learning. And I told you, showed, showed you those books earlier. I'm going to do a book club with, with women leadership within our organization because we have so many that just need that extra encouragement. And so why wouldn't we, right? And then men are invited too because our men do have privilege, but our men also are allies. Our men are mentorship. And they we have a lot of principles that will lean on our, our female leaders to make sure that they are able to share 
the wealth of their knowledge as they move forward. And so it is a collective responsibility of everyone, but the difference between um, power and authority too, just mm -hmm. real quickly is, um, you know, the, the, the authority is your title that's bestowed upon you by virtue of who the name on your door, right? I'm a superintendent. Great. doesn't mean anything if people don't believe and, and, and understand that we believe in them, right? So there's where your power comes from. So I have a lot of kind of power within my organization because they trust me. And I never take that lightly, whether it's a male or a female, but most certainly for our sisters who we want to make sure that rise and that they are having those opportunities and believe in themselves to do so. So it starts with the classroom, starts at the grade level, the department chair, and then from there, principalship. Absolutely. I've encouraged a coach to apply for principals. I've encouraged um, other principals to apply for central office and absolutely. And, and we'll give them the tips and the tools to be able to make sure that that happens for them. Right. Um, Xander, I want to stick with you here. Um, Anissa, you brought this up earlier, but Xander, I want to talk about um, ambition. Uh, this double mm -hmm. standard that I think still exists, uh, the idea that, uh, you know, when a man is ambitious, it's seen as a very positive quality. And for women, ambition is not always viewed. And I would even argue that most often it's viewed as a negative trait or a, a negative characteristic. Um, so I want to ask you directly, do you think that double standard still exists? And if so, more importantly, how do we get rid of that? How do we start as uh, first as an education community, then maybe as a larger society? How do we get rid of this notion that somehow being ambitious as a woman is a negative character trait? Mm, that's an excellent question. And yes, <laughs> yes, the, the short answer is yes, it still exists. Um, and through circles, we kind of you discover that when you talk to people about, oh, wow, you know, like, are you sure you want to do that? You should want to do this. Um, yes, it exists. However, we can absolutely change the narrative, right? Change the narrative. Ambition is not a bad thing. Having passion and confidence and really wanting to support others is a fabulous thing to have. You do, you do lead through that example. And so while we model for others that ambition means leading an organization phenomenally, leading a school with every single gem that you can find and making sure that students are at the forefront like that's ambition so when we define what that means and the evidence of implementation of that so the confidence you have the ambition you have the just the the, the collective responsibility to make sure that students succeed ambition means that we're going to help support you we're going to help others to make sure that if you don't have that rock star lesson if you're not sure how to lead a school we're going to get you some people to help you. Like ambition is so many different things. So I think really just changing that narrative to define it as a really positive mindset, a Wonder Woman mindset. I'll tell you that too. You know, this came, we have jackets, we have, you know, business cards. I've got everything out here in this. I'm going to tell you, um, if I can walk over there, I've got a closet here in my office. There's a Wonder Woman jacket. Did you see the cuff I'm wearing? Yeah, that came from my sisters. Like, we, we like, those are the kinds of things. So ambition is, I want every, this is all about women in leadership. So I can toot that horn. I want every woman to be ambitious, to just take it on mm -hmm. because our core values are kids. Yeah. Our core values are scholars. Our core values is making sure that every kid has post-secondary success. We feel like we, our ambition has arrived at something when others are doing the best that they can be. 
this sign behind me, right? We rise by lifting others. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like when I feel confident about who I am is when I know I'm open doors for many others to continue this work even after me. I find that to be so funny. And I brought up ambition. Recently, I got some feedback and that was some of the the terms that they use. The feedback said, well, Anissa, I know you're very ambitious, but so when you know when you say but you kind of refute anything that was said and i i sat there and they asked do you have any questions and i said no i received your feedback and so i'm one of those people that have posted notes all over their their mirror at home i have it over my kids mirror like when they get up here's your positive affirmations while you're brushing your teeth you read these things you pour into yourself i came home that afternoon and i wrote another post-it note for my Vanity Mirror, and it says, it is okay to be ambitious. And my note said, I am ambitious. And that means I go forth, and I. it is okay for me to have goals. It is okay for me to influence others. It is okay for me to be assertive. It is okay for, for me as a woman to be confident in our practices. And you know what? It is more than okay. It is great. Like, that is a phenomenal trait in that we tend to say being ambitious you're so goal-driven. That is okay. That is great to be goal-driven as a woman. Exactly. Because I I highly doubt we would go to a male and say, you're so ambitious. Mm-hmm. And look at them as if that is wrong. No, you know. So I, it was so funny because I literally, that same day, I wrote a, I got one of those big yellow post-it notes and wrote all of that on there. And I said, you read this before you start every day. Because that's that's so important. Being ambitious doesn't have to be a negative outlook or characteristic for a woman. Right. It can mean so it can it can be connected to the passion that you have to make a difference in whatever field that you're in. And uh, I'm very passionate about that now. So that I ended up attending another PD this session. We had to change our name, our front name on the Zoom for a an adjective that describes you. That's what mine was. Hmm. It was ambitious. Okay. <laughs> it is definitely going to trip people out. Cause they, I'm telling you, I was like, if I am going to put this, say this to myself and accept it, that it is okay to change the narrative for this word and own it. So now I will definitely, I think even I updated my resume and I put that word in there. <laughs> <laughs> Amb- well, ambition like, yeah, ambition is your, is your middle name now, Anissa. It's, uh, when you see me, I might have on a shirt and it says ambitious with my Wonder Woman love symbol. It, love it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> Brittany, your thoughts on, you know, ambitious or ambition or aggressive or, you know, the, the way that women can often be characterized, which is a dichotomy with how men are, are characterized in terms of that word. It seems to be a double standard, seems to be loaded. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I have like two big thoughts as like the conversation was unfolding. Like I also had an experience where I didn't get a position that I applied for and um, the word ambitious came up. It's like, well, don't worry, you're ambitious. I'm sure you'll bounce back. And it's it made me feel like, well... Well, I understand that, yes, I'm going to, con- you know, continue and do my best and, you know, hopefully something else pops up. But wow. is that the reason why I didn't get this job? Because I will bounce back because I am resilient, because I am goal oriented. So versus maybe someone else who wasn't. And this was like 
you know, right. their one shot, you know, so that definitely was like a, a story of my own that was kind of like going through my head as the conversation was unfolding. Mm -hmm. But when we think of ambitious, ambitious being a bad word, it's like, well, why is it a bad word? And I think as women, historically, we're taught to be okay and happy with where we are. You should be grateful and happy where you are with what you have. And if you're ambitious, it means that maybe there's something wrong with the current position that you're in. Mm. And that's not the case. They're not related at all. Um, but that's definitely a story, you know, that you hear or that you grow up with or that, you know, is in education. It's like, well, why are you being so ambitious to move into a different role? Are you not happy where you are? Yeah. Like, let's dig into that. that that's you a, know, that's a really I interesting point. I, I, that's such an interesting point that you bring up the, the idea that I never thought of it that way, that, that, uh, you know, as, as a man, it's just about your, again, we keep using the word, your ambition to, to rise into leadership positions. It, it doesn't at all, you know, I never think of it as a, a, a communicating a, a level of dissatisfaction with the position I'm holding. It's about aspiring to more. Whereas, women are seen as being sort of, you know, uh, dissatisfied and, and not content with, with their place, if you will. And I'm using air quotes, their place in that. That's, it's a really, really interesting point you bring up there, Brittany, about, um, so how do we change that, Brittany? How do we, how do we start to, um, other than, you know, having a podcast like this and trying to make people more aware of it, how do we uh, undercut this and how do we begin to shape that narrative around the word ambition for women as well. I mean, I'm ready to get my Wonder Woman jacket out too. Like, <laughs> um, we all need but to be it's in the true. sister circle, it's, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Go ahead, Brittany. Yes, yeah, I think that's that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. I think we need. I think we need to surround ourselves with people who are like minded, and also feel like our ambition is not. Mm -hmm. a negative trait. Our ambition is our positive trait. And it's what's going to push us to change, you know, change the world. That's what we're all trying to do Absolutely. in education. And by surrounding ourselves by people who have similar values and goals, um, you know, we, our voice becomes louder and it's hard to ignore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as that happens, as it gets louder, things will change. Um, that's personally why, like I did start my podcast, like you mentioned, yeah. so that my thoughts, my voice is heard. And I, I find like-minded people who might not live down the street from me or, right. you know, attend the school that where I teach. So I find educators who are on the same page. Right. Um, but it definitely, it's, it's, it's a struggle. And I mm -hmm. just think it's something that you just can't sit back and just wait to happen on its own. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring up finding your voice. Anissa, I want to turn to you and, and come back to this idea of the internal narratives. One of the articles I was reading in advance of the, the podcast we're doing here is uh, it talked a lot, a lot about how women must sort of push through this internal barrier and and find the confidence to express their ideas and find the the confidence to find their voices uh, in in leadership. So I want to drill down a little bit. We've talked a little bit about this already, but I want to maybe get a little bit more granular uh, about um, the internal narrative about why do you think and not not to cast all women as a monolith. We know that there's, you know, lots of different personalities and 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 lots of different variables. But why do you think women, struggle to find their voices in leadership and what can we do to help raise those voices uh, and and help validate those those uh, positions those the, the people so that uh, we, we can kind of change the conversation around women leadership women in leadership I think a lot of it um, 
has to do with the amount of confidence that we have in ourselves to assert that, to assert that assertiveness, I should say, to even say it or the belief that we have a seat at the table, just that internal confidence that we that we have to tell ourselves, like we deserve to be here. Our voice deserves to be heard. I think a lot of it is having advocates in positions to advocate for, hey, this she is awesome. We should hear what she has to say or what she, um, her, her idea or she's doing wonderful things. Let's listen to her. Uh, I just feel like it, a lot of it, have we just got to have the confidence in it and someone to pour into us that it is, that we have the ability to make a difference and to say these things and what we have to say is important. Mm -hmm. I know I have nieces and I consistently pour into them that they are smart, you can do this, go for it. You can tackle anything that you want to do as long as you believe in yourself. You believe what you say about yourself more than what other people say about you. So you have to pour into yourself the belief that you can do it. And it's hard because you will have those internal conversations, but you have to overpower that and you have to be be confident in what you have to say. And that takes a lot of just inside. You you have to build it up. I know it sounds like, well, how do you do it? A lot of it comes from you just gaining the confidence. It's like riding a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. You keep telling yourself, oh my gosh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But you get up there you put your seatbelt on, you lock yourself in and you hold on to it and you go for the ride. And when you're done, you're like, I did it. I did it. And it's the same way with building up the confidence to be able to speak, to be confident in what you're speaking about and just go for it. Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like I think um, I was listening to Steve Harvey one time. And he was like, just jump, just jump, just go and do it. Just get out there, push yourself to it. And be ready, like, because sometimes once you get out there and do it, and you make that leap, all doors and will open, and you have to be ready to walk through those doors and say, you know what, this one action opened up a plethora of opportunities mm -hmm. for me, and I have to be ready to go for it. And I just, it just really, really starts with there having confidence and having people to advocate for you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd love to add to that. It's just it, and it is those. Um, it's your confidence. And it's also just um, the level of nurturing from your sisters. And so how do you battle those, overcome those voices that might, you know, tell you not to do it? Trust the ones that tell you to do it. And so what, what I'll just go back to that sister circle mentality. And it's, um, and the book I was listening to this morning by Abby Wombeck, The Wolfpack. Love her analogy, uh, analogy of kind of who we are. As young women, we're trained to follow rules. As young women, we don't venture off and to do other things like stay, stay safe. Culturally, I'll tell you also just culturally as a, as a, a, a Latina too, you know, respect authority. Don't, you know, spoke, speak when spoken to. Don't, don't jump, don't, don't say the first word, just trust and like, just know your role. And it's not from a bad place. Like our parents, our grandparents taught us that out of respect, just respect for people and to be good people. And so you can still be that while having your ambition and trusting your voice to do that. And so I want to go back to just like the little red riding hood story. So little red riding hood, you know, she was, what did they tell her? Go to grandma's house, stay on the track, you know, don't venture off the, the road. And what did she do? She ventured out on the road. Right. And she met the wolf and she did all these other things. Well, guess what? She was breaking rules as mothers of young girls, as fathers of young girls, 
how do we teach our young girls to have in Spanish, we call las ganas or ganas, right? Ambition is ganas in Spanish. Like, how do we treat them to have like the initiative, the ambition, the the want to do more for themselves? So it's that voice and how to influence and to, to yes, be curious. And yeah, you might want to break a rule every once in a while and, and try to see what's out there and do venture off pack. Because in um, the book I was listening to this morning about just reaffirming, reaffirming where we are and how we lead. And as women... Um, you know, big, big things come into our mind when we, we look at the, the bigger grand scale of things and how we can influence others. And so when we want to influence young girls, impressionable young girls, other colleagues, like soups to soups, I have sisters that I share things with that they'll tell me and they'll help me. Um, principles to principles, I set up conversations for principals to talk to principals and to understand and be vulnerable, be vulnerable with each other because it's okay. Vulnerable is not a bad word. It's actually a good word because you grow from vulnerability, right? From taking a risk. I am the, probably the first superintendent in this district that said, sorry, when I made a mistake and they're like, whoa, 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 you're the superintendent. You say, sorry. I'm like, why do I say, sorry. I made the mistake. Right. <laughs> um, but going back to just little red riding hood, how do we teach our girls, right? To take those steps, to take the initiative because guess what? We, in the book that I was listening to, again, I've got to give credit to, credit to Abby um, Wambach, um, fabulous Olympic medalist. She said, guess what, ladies? We were never Little Red Riding Hood. We were always the wolf. Mm -hmm. Hey, snaps to that, huh? <laughs> Why don't we bring out our wolf pack and go. the wolf mentality to say, guess what? I'm going to cheer and I'm going to say your name, sister, in a room full of opportunities. And that's what I do. If there's an opportunity for something to happen, I'm going to say, sister, this, this, Maria, Pam, you know, Rosa, all of you, I'm saying your name because there's enough seats at this table. And I'm, and if there's not a seat, what did Rosa Parks say? She's going to pull up and bring her own folding chair and put it right there too. So there's so it. many, right. Go ahead. <laughs> 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 Yeah, we make space. We absolutely make space. And that's, I think that's really about the essence of women in leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There there are women that are also the opposite. We do have some cutthroat sisters um, that just think that they can't say your name because they're not going to get ahead. But guess what? I only look at that from you had a bad experience. Some other, somebody burned you mm -hmm. and hurt you that you don't, you don't feel you can open up doors. And so how can I help you? Let's have a conversation. I'm going to fix your crown anyways, whether you, you, whether you think you, you, you don't need it or not. And I'm going to help make sure that you understand we're not like that. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely enough opportunities for everyone. So let me throw a, a, a question out there. Um, and Brittany, I'm going to come to you on this first. Um, I want you to help me. And by me, I'm, I'm the representative male in this conversation. And I'm thinking about, and, and, and I'm, I'm not trying to turn on men, but what, I'm, what I am asking is advice to men who may not realize that we're doing things that are, you know, muting women voices. We, we've been talking about how do, we, how do we bring voices to the table? How do we bring women's voices to the table? And there are things that maybe men are subconsciously or or consciously doing that may interfere with that. So what what do men have to be aware of in these situations and circumstances 
to make sure that we're not inadvertently, again, or intentionally uh, muting uh, women's voices at the leadership table? What are, what are some, some things that men should be aware of? The first thing I thought of was like wearing my Kamala Harris shirt that says I'm speaking mm. to the meeting. No, <laughs> but that's like what that's the first image that came to my mind <laughs> right i i i think it's just hearing what everyone has to say regardless of who it is you know every single person has a thought even if they don't vocalize it in that moment and i think sometimes um you know especially women maybe like someone has already said it or maybe they just this isn't the meeting where they're going to speak up. I think making sure that everyone has had a chance to speak and share their opinions, mm -hmm. whether it's vocally, whether it's in an email, whether it's written somewhere, um, but making sure you hear from all, all of the voices, all of the people involved in some way, shape or form, because not everyone's a talker. Right. And I think, you know, sometimes men who are in charge only hear the voices, the loudest voices and finding a way to, you know, it's just like, it's just like when we work with teachers or with children, making making sure everyone has a say at the end of the day, an input of some kind is really valuable. And I think that's a good place to start. Okay. Anissa, Zandra, I, go ahead. Yeah, I would agree with her. Um, Brittany, when you're talking about sometimes men only hear maybe the loudest voice, sometimes they only hear voices that resemble their voice. I have been in meetings where I've made suggestions and someone, a male may have come behind me, echoed the same thing, and someone would say, oh, that is a great idea. And I'm like, there was. It was an excellent idea. I said it first. <laughs> idea. I agree. I will be the first one to sign up for it because it was my idea. Absolutely. Uh, but it, just again, men just being aware. I know in culturally responsive teaching strategies, we talk about teachers or school leaders just being aware of their own biases and being very aware of that will kind of help you or will help you be able to check it sometimes mm -hmm. and be able to be aware of where you fall short or where your own beliefs of what leadership should look like or what opinions should look like or what tasks or where they come from or generate from if you have those type of biases be aware of it so you can check your own deficit filter mm -hmm. like you definitely have to check that as a male so that you can be open mm -hmm. to know that hey all you know we we are equally able to accomplish a task working together so let's welcome everyone to the table regardless of their religion regardless of their skin color whether they are male or female young or old just welcome everyone to the table because that's together we can achieve more like that's what team is about right. and it's definitely it will definitely work if all of us can come to the table with an open mind, with open arms to welcome everyone, all opinions, all ages, all races, sex, gender, just welcoming them all and be ready to receive it. Mm -hmm. And I'd add just um, being willing to to confront the behavior too. Like if a, if a male is being dismissive of a female in a setting um, or not wanting to listen or just saying, oh, you know, that was a nice idea, you know, or, or didn't give you credit for the idea, but somebody else gets credit immediately. It's culturally whatever they've grown up with or they've been part of that allows them to think that they can do that. And so how do you 
call out those behaviors and say, you know what, we don't do that here. We have some norms, some collective commitments that we all we all respect each other and everyone's everyone has an equal seat at the table and comes to voice. And I'll say that in the sense of like, I'll bring together lots of different groups. So I'll have teachers in there, I'll have our classified members. So like um, secretaries, um, administrators and teachers all in the same room and maybe even a board member. And I'll say everyone has an equal voice. So everyone's, we're gonna value everyone's opinion when they come to the table. That's our culture we've built here. We have a collective responsibility to get to a really great solution with whatever this topic is. And your voice is as equally as important as your voice. And I say it at the beginning mm -hmm. so that no one thinks like, oh, okay. Because there might be somebody with a master's degree and somebody with a high school diploma. I don't care, ideas are ideas. And Absolutely. you sometimes might have a better idea because you're not you know, biased by all of the things that you're, you've, you've learned through other avenues. So I think setting it up that way for men, particularly if they do, if you're noticing that there are particular men that are a little bit more dismissive, then I'll call that out. Now I can do that as the superintendent, right? right. When it was colleague to colleague, when I was a director or an assistant soup to an, with another colleague, I did it too. I don't do it in front of people ever, ever. Right. I always pull them to the side and we have the conversation and I bring awareness too. Are you aware of that? Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, silence is permission to continue the behavior. Right. And so I, I won't let them think, well, I said that and Zandra didn't say anything and she was there. And I never want that reputation out there. Like, I'm going to call it out when I see it. And there are times, you're, you're right, where, you know, just because you're calling something out doesn't mean it has to be public, doesn't mean it has to be confrontational, but but bringing that to someone's attention is is always important, I think, often, especially if you do hold a position of where you have positional authority, uh, mm -hmm. the, the power imbalance will will bring an imbalanced perspective on that confrontation. And therefore, we have to we have to navigate that with with a little bit of uh, finesse. Now, before we get to some advice, I'm going to ask you for some advice for women uh, who are aspiring into leadership roles. I want to talk about one final thing, and that is and, and I think, Zandra, you brought this up. Uh, earlier, this notion of imposter syndrome. Um, of mm -hmm. course, we know imposter syndrome is this way of thinking that um, has you believing that you're you're not as competent as as others believe them to be. So, Brittany, I want to come back to you. Um, how real is imposter syndrome for women, uh, especially when it comes to women in leadership? And again, how do we start to overcome that feeling that that sort of imposter syndrome? How do how do we how do we bring that um, how do we undercut that? I should say, how do, how do we start to, to deconstruct that whole feeling that women often have? I think the first step is to realize that you're never going to overcome it. Mm. Like there, it's not something that once you tackle one hurdle, let's say mm -hmm. that imposter syndrome goes away, okay. it doesn't go away. It's something that, you know, is a part of it's a part of life. Every time you try something new, you're going to be scared of that thing because it's new and you're going to worry like, am I good enough? Am I ready? Can I do this? And that's okay. And I think the biggest thing for women is to just be able to identify it, put a name to it and, and say, oh no, this is just me having imposter syndrome, mm -hmm. you know? And, and once you kind of do that, it kind of like takes the fog away. And you start to realize, well, if that's what this is that I'm feeling right now, why am I feeling that way? Mm -hmm. And having that conversation, not just internally in your head, but with other people in your circle, right? The people around you, your mentor, people that you trust and kind of walk through it out loud. So it doesn't feel so like <laughs> big bad wolf, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So that you can, you really have to be able to name it. Like even 
for me, I feel it some days and I don't feel it other days. Some days I'm super confident in what I'm doing. And other days I'm like, did they pick the right person for this? Like, <laughs> and that's okay. And when I start to doubt myself and my abilities and, you know, my credentials or whatever, I just come back to this idea that why am I feeling this way? And it really is fear. It's fear of failure, feel of not living up to this made up expectation that you have in your head for what you want to accomplish. Um, but I think it's it's not realistic for, for us to say that it's just going to go away. Like imposter syndrome is going to go away. It's something we can kind of overcome, check off a box and move on with our lives and be super confident. Like that's just not a realistic expectation. Okay. I think we have to be able to name it is like the first step, like identify that there's a problem <laughs> and put a term to it. And I think that's why I love that. You know, I never heard of imposter syndrome maybe a couple of years ago. And once I heard what the term was, it was like a light bulb, like, oh my goodness, that's the feeling that I get when I'm too scared to do something. And ever since I kind of learned about it, I now I now use the term more often and it's helped me do things scared. And I think that's really what we want. We wanna be able to still do things, still push forward even when we're scared. That uh, idea of awareness, you make me think of, um so often when you become aware of your thoughts and feelings. So I, I'm thinking about times when you're upset, you're angry, and then you almost look at yourself as a th in third person and you realize how angry you are. The anger often dissipates. You often are able to put things in perspective. Once you realize, wow, I'm really upset right now. Suddenly you're not in the midst of it. You're actually naming it and noticing it. And it reminds you of that. Anissa, is that part of how we maybe not, overcome it and rid ourselves of it, but how do we compartmentalize it, recognize that it's there, but still have the courage to, to move forward? Is that is that part of the, the, the strategy? So I think once we, what happens as adults, we go through experiences and we collect all of these responses so we have a toolbox or a toolkit. So when we get upset or when we face fear, we have tools in our toolbox that we can kind of, okay, I can identify this. This is what I've used before. And, you know, our brain have natural ways like, okay, we've experienced this before. So we know like a response. So I think that's why we are able to, when our brain is hijacked, we are able to calm ourselves down a little bit faster than students or children who experience those emotional hijacks. Mm -hmm. So when we are looking at the imposter syndrome and she said, it may not ever go away, but what we do, the strategies that we use to overcome it, once we, we know it, we identify it and we say, okay, you're going down this hole again. So you have intentional conversations with yourself to bring yourself out of it. You have to say, no, nope, there you go. Like the brain is a negative muscle. It will it will spiral out of control. Like all of a sudden you, you think you could do something and all of a sudden you have all of these reasons why you have <laughs> able to be aware like oh, there you go again stop it and and be able to overcome it with positive talk to yourself that is more difficult than what i'm making it out to be but you have to train your brain to think positive you have to train your your brain to know once you're experiencing this imposter syndrome you got to overcome it. You have to stop it. And I do that. Like, it's almost when we experience neg negative encounters. I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I can have an argument with someone or a disagreement. And I play that conversation over in my head, thinking about, 
did I respond right? Or, you know, did I say this? Or was I wrong? I and mean, the conversation is over. Like, we're, I'm driving home and I'm still thinking about it. Or I'm working my teeth, I'm still thinking about it. So, <laughs> or I'm, maybe I should have said, if this happens again, I'm going to say, or I'm going to smooth it over. Like, I'm having this whole internal dialogue with myself about a conversation that happened now, two days ago. So uh, I think when we get to the point of noticing that we're having this imposter syndrome, having that positive talk to ourselves to overcome it and talk about the tools that we have, the people that we can lean on. I love the sister circle. I love having mentors. Mm -hmm. I love having advocates because once I start getting there, I know I need to call someone really quickly. If I can't pull myself out of it, I have to call someone else to to give me what I need to help. And that's okay to notice that it's, it's okay to lean on people. I think for so long, we thought we had to do it all ourselves. So we were very private. You never told anyone that you were having these thoughts. But it's absolutely okay to want to identify it, to call on your team of people, your supporters. If you do not have the skills or strategies yourself to change your mindset and, and push yourself to believe that you can. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so powerful. I love, I love, I love just hearing from each of you and just your perspectives. It is, it is exactly that, right? It's when things get into our, and they just rent space in our head and it just takes over and it, we start thinking and doubting whether we are. And so being able to name it, name it, what is it? And knowing that everything is temporary, we're going to have some really great days and we're going to have some low days. So how do I pull myself out of those low days when I'm not feeling and everybody, I mean, honestly, there's not a female on the planet, I don't think, that doesn't have some sort of that imposter syndrome. And I do agree with you, Brittany, that it, it doesn't go away. So it's how do we cope with it? How do we manage it and use the strategies, right? And so through that, how do I then say, okay, I'm going to name it. And I'm going to put it right here on this piece of paper. I'm doubting this. Like, what's the logic with me doubting that? So then it goes into um, emotion versus logic. Like, when we doubt ourselves, it's a lot of emotion in there. It's not logic. Like logically, I am the best person for that job. I know I am. I, logically, I know I, that I deserve this opportunity because I've worked hard for it. I, so all the logical pieces go out the window when imposter syndrome comes in, right? And then, then we start doing that. So how do you cope with it? And so the ways to cope with it simply is having champions and cheerleaders in your corner. And I can't say enough about like just having a network of individuals that you can lean into, lean on to give you those positive affirmations that you are not giving yourself in that moment. And so then they remind you, did you not remember that you been, you know, did this, this, that? Oh my God, yes. But we forget all about that when we're in that moment. So again, phenomenally, the and just going back to a sister circle, I, I just have to tell you that because it is it, it needs to be a movement nationally. Um, and, and I have national sisters in our circle. And so how do you create one of those? Like you create it by just finding some people that you know are encouragers and you can encourage them and starting a text message group. That's as simple as it is. And that, that combats imposter syndrome. Did you know that we were birthed through the pandemic? So we had in California, we have an association, a, a sister symposium, and you all, you're invited to come it's through an organization of all administrators and, and aspiring administrators. And we have a sister symposium that happens every year in May. And so when we had that, it was virtual and we were all down in the dumps because pandemic hit and we were like, oh, my God, how are we going to do this? I got to do X, Y and Z. And I got to respond to all these stakeholders, whether I was the principal, the superintendent, the director, whatever. 
So we created it in that moment to lean on each other. So we've only been established for a year, but what's come out of that? People have lost jobs through that and we've encouraged them. People have become superintendents and we've encouraged them. People have become directors and we've encouraged each other. People have lost loved ones and we've been there to nurture each other. People have been doubting themselves whether that opportunity, should they leave their current district and go to another one? Like, will I be good enough? Absolutely, you will be good enough. And so just having the positive affirmations from others and a sister circle just allows you the permission to be your best version of you. I um I I was going to say uh, just as we f- we finish up here that I I I think there's going to be a number of sister circles that are going to be <laughs> starting as listeners uh uh hear not just what it's about but just be feeling inspired by the 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 positivity and the substance not just cheerleading but but real substance that comes from having mm-hmm. uh a, a circle that you can lean on uh, during those those challenging times that we all face, and that having those those folks that you can just sort of count on to help you through some of those tough moments. I want to finish mm-hmm. up with advice, and uh, I want to focus on advice for women who aspire to leadership roles. And I want to look at it through the lens of each of your current roles. So, uh, Zandra, I'm going to start with you. When you think about advice for current women principals who are aspiring to move into central office specifically, what advice do you have for them uh, as they think about, you know, I'm a principal now, I'd like to move into central office. Are there some tidbits, some, some big things, some big ideas, some advice you have for them as they move, as they aspire to move into a central office position? And then we'll come back to Anissa and, and Brittany as well, but let's start Xander with moving from a principal to uh, a central office position. All right. Absolutely. So yes, I do have advice for them. And I, and it's um, simple. It's simple. Um, when you want to make that move, just believe that you have what it takes. If you had, if you've achieved the principalship, that's a huge, a huge feat to be able to manage a school and to be able to be there for all the parents, the students, um, your teacher force, your classified staff, all of them. So if you have done that, then you are ready for a central office. And so how do you make that move is by getting the supportive network to get you some really awesome questions so that we can give you a mock interview to make sure that you're supported in that role, um, making sure that you have um, some of the things that you wanted to do as a principalship that carry with you to central office, because at central office, you aren't as close to kids anymore, but you can still be close to kids. Mm-hmm. I'm in classrooms every day because you still can do that. So don't think you're giving up one love for another love. Your sphere of influence is going to be at a larger scale at central office than it would be at a school because now you're looking at all your schools and how can you support them? And so my advice to you, if you're looking to that next level, do it. Do it and lean on sisters to make sure that you're prepared for that step. And so you will get the the practical advice, the questions, the things that you need to do. And if you don't know everything, that's the other thing. It's okay. Like when I got this job, this fabulous superintendency, I didn't know a lot about facilities and maintenance, but guess what? I called on some really great people to help me. And so my advice is to do it. You're ready. You will have people to support you when you get, when you're going to get the job, when you get the job and when you keep the job. (laughs) Absolutely. So Anissa, you are currently a principal as you think about teachers 
who are aspiring to move into uh, assistant principal positions, et cetera. Any unique considerations, things that women should think about? Is it, is it similar advice to what Xander said, or are there some different pieces because this would be their first move into an administrative role? Um, pretty much, I would echo a lot of the things that Xander said. The only other advice that I give are our teachers or my colleagues that are moving from teaching positions or coaching positions that are applying for assistant principal or principal position is the confidence in yourself when you go to the interview. Like the interview is the time for you to sell yourself, to be assertive and to let them know what you bring to the table. I think sometimes as women, we do not do a very quality job with selling ourselves in the interview. And so I always talk with teachers or teacher leaders that are applying for jobs. I We coach and we have mock interviews or try to run through what to say, how do you sell yourself, what's your introduction, and what's your closing. Because everyone that's coming to the interview table, they probably all have similar experiences. They probably all have similar degrees, certifications, um, experiences. So what sets you apart? Part of what will keep you at the top when they're looking for a candidate to name as that assistant principal or principal, you have to sell yourself. You sell your qualities, you sell your confidence, your experiences, and you go in as a rock star and tell them why you are the best fit for that position and that you meet all of the qualifications that they're looking for. It's just a matter of them giving you the position. And a lot of times in for teacher leaders, they have already been working in the role or doing some of the experiences that assistant principals may have been doing or mm -hmm. principals. A lot of times they have a lot of experience and what they do not have maybe will be in budget. So you you get that mentorship from principals like, OK, how do you determine which, how you're going to use your funds or how do you budget those things? If you start looking at it, that may be the only area that they need to grow in. But it's OK not to know that you can grow into that knowledge band that knowledge span like xander said when you're in the position and call on people to help you so just have confidence once mm -hmm. you get to the interview level that you are the person for it and your interview sells your qualities excellent excellent advice uh, Brittany. i want to turn to you finally and ask you classroom teachers feeling like they want to emerge as teacher leaders what advice nuances different considerations do you have for women classroom teachers who are now wanting to take their first steps into to leadership? I think the very first step is to realize that they already are, most likely. If they are ready, like quote unquote ready to take on some type of leadership, most likely they're already doing things in their classroom that makes them an unofficial teacher leader, whether they're helping their colleagues running, some type of like book club with their colleagues or, or, you know, just kind of giving that mentorship to someone else. And that already gives them everything that they need to be a teacher leader. Now, when we start thinking about applying for official roles that they have to kind of go through the process for, um, some advice that I would give is to like find a problem and create a solution, you know, as simple as that, like find something that's going on and that you could fix within your school and like bring that to someone's attention, mm -hmm. you know, have a conversation with your principal and say like, I've been doing these things, you know, I'm ready to take on a little bit more responsibility. Like, is there any, 
is there anything else that I could help you with? You know, here's something I've noticed. What do you think? And kind of having that open discussion so that, you know, not only are you doing the teacher leader things, but that you've had a conversation so that, you know, your principal is aware that this, these are your aspirations. This is something that you're working towards. Um, but it really comes down to like a mindset shift. A lot of teachers are already doing these things, but they do not think of themselves as leaders. I, I had someone on my podcast who was running professional development for her whole school when COVID happened and they had to switch to online learning and she still didn't think of herself as a, as a leader. Yeah. And, you know, being able to own up to it saying like, I am a leader, I'm doing these things, like having that confidence um, is really the first step. So it's kind of like the easiest and the hardest all in one. Cause like, you don't need anything special. You don't need to get another degree. It's more of a mindset shift, which is the hardest <laughs> thing to do is to change your mindset to, to really like be okay and step into that role and do it confidently. Um, but definitely like if, if you're thinking about leadership in the future as well, teacher leader is the first step. And even if you're not thinking about anything past being a teacher leader, what are ways that you could really be a leader in the current position that you have if you wanna stay a classroom teacher? Because there's so many different things that teachers can do without necessarily leaving the classroom to be that teacher leader, to help not only the teachers in their own communities, but also teachers you know, everywhere. Being online nowadays, you, you have the ability to change so many other teachers' lives. There's so much more opportunity and potential out there to really put on that leadership hat. This has been a fascinating conversation. And certainly, listeners, you can, you as you've heard through the entire episode, we have three powerhouse women here giving great advice on uh, not just how to aspire into leadership, but how to handle the position and how to begin to, to assert your voice and begin to, to bring that voice to the table and believe in yourself as leaders. And we have to continue to, to support that narrative uh, throughout education. Zandra, Anissa, Brittany, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for having me. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. The disparity between the percentage of women who are educators and those in formal leadership roles has to be addressed. We need a serious conversation and rethink about the leadership paradigms in education. Serious conversations most certainly do not include pressuring men to spontaneously resign from leadership positions to make room. Now, sure, that sounds great in the social media bubble and may garner a lot of attention and retweets, but it's not a real solution. Are you willing to make up the pay difference to cover their mortgages, their car payments, university tuition for their children, etc.? Yeah, I didn't think so. It's easy to be cavalier about other people's employment and their financial circumstances. This is not about martyrdom or performative gestures. We have to go to the source and change the culture around leadership. But first, we need to increase the number of women applicants. Now, people can only hire from the pool of applicants, and my experience tells me that many women choose not to apply because they don't think it's worth it. The meme that school or district leaders have to be on call 24-7 and live at the job is why many women don't apply. Women still, whether by choice or otherwise, still have or take a disproportionate amount of responsibility in families. Now, I'm not saying that's the way it should be. I'm just saying that's the way it is. 
And until I see hard sustained evidence that tells me the situation is flipped to men, we all know it's true. So many women look at the prospect of feeling pressured to be in work mode 24 seven and say, it's not worth it. And you know what? They're right. In the 2000s, as my administrative career was unfolding, and I mentioned this during the recording of the interview, in the district I worked in, there was this sort of unwritten competition amongst administrators and district staff to see who could be at work the most over the weekend. You know, we get emails from central office staff at 3 a.m. We'd see their cars in the parking lots all day Saturday and Sunday. It was ridiculous. I never really bought into that whole shtick. I always thought if you need to be at school all day on Saturday and all day on Sunday, then you are way too inefficient with your time. Yes, look, I worked weekends and evenings, but not all the time. But think about it. If you're a woman trying to find balance with work and family, and you receive emails from your principal at 3 a.m., or if you're a principal and you receive them from your superintendent at 3 a.m., what are you supposed to think? You might look at that and ask yourself, is that what it takes? If I aspire to one of these roles, does that mean I'm going to be, have to be in work mode 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Am I going to be sending emails at three in the morning? I mean, how are you supposed to know? Am I supposed to be on my email constantly sending messages at ungodly hours? No thanks. So the first thing that needs to change is the whole culture around school leadership. Yes, long hours come with the job at times. But boards, superintendents, and principals need to stop rewarding those, whether it's informal or otherwise, stop rewarding those who commit to the job at the expense of everything else in their lives. It's unhealthy, and it is an unreasonable ask. To increase the applicant pool, we have to find a way to make leadership roles more enticing, and that is never going to happen if we keep putting women in the position to have to choose between leadership and family. That should never be inferred for anyone, men or women. That should never be a choice that's put in front of people. So if you are in a position of influence, be aware of the nonverbal messages you send. You don't need to send an email at three in the morning. That is performative and you know it. You know that virtually no one will read it at three in the morning, but of course, when they do read it, they'll see it was sent at three in the morning and you'll get a little ego boost from that, won't you? It's ridiculous and it sends the wrong message. Write the email at three in the morning if you want to save it in your draft folder, and send it during work hours. Unless it's an acute emergency involving a student or a staff member or someone in the community, the email can wait. Now don't get me wrong, many women find the balance and are incredible leaders. Now you just listen to three of them. But we need to expand the base of potential applicants so there is an increased chance that women can and will be hired into these positions, and that starts by deconstructing these archaic memes that the job must consume you. Second, men can no longer remain oblivious to the issues women face. We have to be vigilant when, for example, women aren't given credit they deserve, or aren't being heard, or are being overlooked. We have to pay attention to that as men. Now, I'm not trying to say or infer that I have this all figured out, because I don't. I just know that until we start speaking up and acting up, the situation is never going to change. It's not enough to be passive anymore. What else can men do? Well. We need to be acutely aware of our differences in how we conduct our business. We need to be mindful not to interrupt. We need to be mindful not to speak over women or, of course, mansplain. If we don't think we have any unconscious bias, we need to look again. Because chances are, we all do. A March of 2020 UN report found that 90% of men and women hold some sort of bias against females. So not only are women up against it with men, they're also up against it with other women. 
We all want to stand out, and we all want to aspire to advance our careers. Men are not going to step aside and suddenly extinguish their aspirations. That's a fantasy. What is real is creating a culture where women feel it's equal. It's easy to say that we're equal, but the question is whether women feel it's equal. Do they feel as if leadership opportunities are truly going to the best person available, or is the game still a little rigged toward highlighting male tendencies, male habits, male dispositions as those desirable traits? Mentorship is another way men can uplift women. By mentoring women, men in leadership roles are doing two things. First, by taking on a formal mentoring role, men are immediately sending the message to the mentee, you have what it takes, I recognize it, and I wanna help you get there. And of course, two, through the mentoring process, you will be able to help chip away at some of that internal doubt that Zandra, Anissa, and Brittany were talking about earlier. Now, before some of you go all crazy on me here and thinking like, so Tom, are you saying that women need men to reach leadership positions? Absolutely not. Okay, this is about what men can and should do, not necessarily about what women need. There are plenty of women leaders, you just heard three of them, as I said earlier, who would be incredible mentors for other women aspiring to be leaders. But men need to start being a part of the solution, not ignorantly perpetuating the stereotypes and biases that influence the hiring decisions. And finally, women also have to contribute to the change by actually applying and not waiting until they think they have checked every single box. You are more than ready. You are more than good enough. And you have to remember, they can't hire you if you don't apply. Now we can work on all of the external factors we want to, but women also have to work on that internal narrative that is holding some of them back. Put the application in, go through the process, and even if you don't get the job the first time around, which happens to most of us, that interview experience and familiarity with the process will be invaluable next time. The women leaders I know are inspiring, and we need more of them. And it's not going to happen through quick fixes or some fantastical hypothetical on social media. It's going to change when those responsible for hiring make purposeful and sustained efforts to re-examine their hiring practices to ensure that they are authentically equitable. And when those responsible decide that enough is enough with these archaic memes about leadership. Education needs women in leadership, and it's time to deconstruct the internal and external norms that have been preventing so many from even applying in the first place. Remember to follow the podcast to stay up to date on what's happening. That's at Tom Shimmer Pod on Twitter, Shimmer Education on Facebook, Tom Shimmer Podcast on Instagram, and Tom Shimmer Podcast on YouTube. You can also email the podcast for any comments or questions you have for me, TomShimmerPod at gmail.com. Please follow, subscribe, rate, review the podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, of course, where your ratings and reviews make the biggest difference in widening the listening audience. And a big thank you to those who keep spreading the word about the podcast to colleagues, to friends, and to family. I really do appreciate it. Happy summer, everyone.